All right, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and uh, we have a good day today. And welcome to all of you online who got up late and realized we're not going to make it, and so you tuned in. So glad you're on there, glad we have this uh, live stream available for days like this. Um, It's going to be a good day. Turn to Romans 12, if you would, please. Romans 12, that's where we're going to pick up. Let me begin with a couple questions. Why did you have that knockdown, drag out fight with your spouse this week? Don't answer me. <laughs> That'd be awkward. Why, some of you kids, why have you been so disobedient to your parents lately? Why did you uh, cheat on your taxes this year? Why do you get so annoyed when you're behind somebody going five miles under the speed limit? Why do you struggle with giving generously and sacrificially back to God what he's given to you? Why do you tend to lie? Why do you look at what others have and wish you had that? Why do you spend too much on pleasures? I mean, go down the list. Why do politics get you so fired up? Why why are you stressed or, or angry or quick to those things? Why did you go to that website again? We can go down the list. I actually have the answer. You might want to write this down. It's because you're alive. Well, if we struggle with these things, if we're going through all this because we're alive, and I would say these things are those things that keep us from the abundant life. You know, that's our mission, is to connect people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. And these things take away from that life God has for us. Why? Because you're alive. So what's the answer? Pretty easy. Stop being so alive. Now, don't, we're not talking suicide. We're not going to pass out Kool-Aid here. Don't get too worried. But in a very real sense... It's because we can be too alive. And that's not what we're called to. Yet at the same time, what we're called to is so much greater. Look at Romans 12. Romans 12. Now, so far, turn to Romans 12. Make sure you're there. You can, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. Grab it. Uh, if you don't own one, take that home. That's for you. If you don't know where Romans is, it's about there. Um, and there's a table of contents. So there's no shame in looking that up. No big deal. But so far in Romans, all the way through chapter 11, we've seen a whole lot of doctrine, a lot of theology, some some pretty deep stuff. Um, In fact, some churches, when they teach through Romans, will do it in two or three years because there's so much here. Um, We've chosen to try and do the whole book in 20 weeks, which is actually really quick. But so far, we've seen a lot of really good things, right, that we're saved by faith alone, in Jesus alone, what he did on the cross. We've seen that every person deserves hell. For eternity, because every person has sin and is born in sin. Well, we've seen how the world is broken and groaning because of sin, but yet that God has chosen to show mercy to some by placing the, the sacrifice on Jesus, right? The sacrifice we should give for our own sin, Jesus took that. So we've seen all these things. We've seen God's mercy. We've seen God's glory. And so the question then leads up to, so what? Right? All this doctrine, and maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you didn't, maybe you're one of those that studied a lot, and you're like, I want to know a ton. And we can know a lot of the Bible, and I've known a lot of people, and I've had periods in my life where I just wanted to study, 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 and learn. 
but it never kind of moved from here to, to here, and we need to make that switch. So what do we do with all this truth? What should this do in our lives? Well, first, I want to get a, a clearer picture of God real quick. So Romans 12, but actually turn back to Romans 11, just a few verses before, starting in verse 33. As Paul wraps up this section, he just feels like he needs to proclaim these things about Jesus. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If I was going to sum up those verses, it would be this way. God is God, and we are not. We need him. He does not need us. You know, so often as a, as a pastor preparing to, to teach, you know, my heart is for you to experience the life God has for you. Uh, my heart is for the kingdom, right? To see more churches planted, the other churches growing, all, all these things. And that's good, but sometimes, at least for me, we can get a little bit too focused on self, on, on you know, us. And this can become too much, oh, it's just about you having a good life. Although it is a good life, yet look at who God is, the way he describes God here. God doesn't need you. Did you know that? Every religion really has all these religious things to do to, to please the, the God or, or whatever it is because the gods are needy. Read through uh, ancient mythologies, all of them. The gods are really needy. God really doesn't need you. That should be humbling. And get it, we want to begin with this picture. I loved um, the song we just sang, and Jason gave me a copy of his, um, B minor, G, D. But here, here are the words that always actually choke me up just a little bit as I read them, or as I sing them. Comforter, counselor, prince of peace, author and maker of everything, defender, deliverer, king of kings, helper and healer forevermore, savior and shelter through every storm, my refuge, redeemer, lord of lords, child of heaven, son of man, provider, protector, the great I am, alpha, omega, beginning and end, he is, he is. That's our God. That, right, that's our God, and he has shown mercy to us. Wow. So, so, so the beginning of Romans 12 is we look at, this is our God. And as we get this big view of God, I mean, it puts us on our knees, and then so what? So what? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Before we go there, here's a note, though, for you. In God's love and grace, he has chosen to show mercy by laying our sins on Jesus' shoulders on the cross. So we see who God is, and he has shown us mercy. And now we look at these verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, if you're like me, you know, you'll read your Bible and maybe you take notes and write in the margins. That's allowed, by the way. Um, and that's helpful for me when I read through or I'm preparing. The problem is I've underlined all of those. 
And so I look at this, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's all so good. So we're only going to focus on these two verses. Now, as I began, I, I asked, you know, why all these things in your life? Why did you cheat on your taxes? Why did you get in that fight? Why did you do whatever it is? What are those things keeping, keeping us from the abundant life? Well, maybe you've played this game before, right? This, this domino game. You know what I'm trying to do here. So you set up these dominoes, right? And I would say down, down the, 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 the aisle are all these other things, our relationships, how we handle money, all that stuff. But the first domino, the first domino leads to the rest. And I think today's passage gives us the first domino. And so you want these other things in life and you want to get better, great. But it starts with this one thing. And without this one thing, the rest aren't going to work very well. So you get the first domino. Nice. And they'll knock down the rest. Now, when you get home, maybe you need to do this with a lot of dominoes and video it and post it. And we can see who gets the longest one. But here's the first domino. We see it in these verses. The first step in a godly life is that we present our bodies to God. It starts right there. Now, how does he begin? He says, I appeal to you. I mean, Paul is almost begging. He's begging with these people. I beg you, therefore, therefore, because of all these things that God is, he is, he is, right? Because of what he's done to, to us, and it says, by the mercies of God. So not only is this who he is, but he's chosen to show us mercy. Because of that, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Here's the first step. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, I like visuals. You know, I think that way. I was tempted to build an altar right here, right? And then, like, climb up on it, but that would have been, that wouldn't have worked. But, but that's the picture, right? Think of the, the Jewish sacrifices in the Old Testament. And they had lots of sacrifices. Um, most often when we think of a sacrifice, we think of atoning for sin sacrifices, it's just kind of what comes to mind, right? Because Jesus, when he went to the cross, was the atonement for sins. So we think of sacrifices this way. This is not that sacrifice. The reason is we do not atone for our sins, right? In, in John, it says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. When he died on the cross, he took the sins of the world. He was the atonement. So this, this living sacrifice, can't be an atoning sacrifice. That's done. This is more of a free will offering. The Jews had all kinds of these that God told them to do. And they had Thanksgiving offerings, right? They had free will. They had first fruit offerings when they would bring in their crops or whatever, or they would have, you know, their, their lambs and things would have babies. Um, they would give the first ones back to God. And all these were gifts back to God. And there were different ones. There were grain offerings. There were wave offerings. They had sacrifices. They had, they had festivals and feasts that were also a form of sacrifice and worship. And they, they did all these things. And they had flesh sacrifices where they would take a goat or a sheep and they would kill it and they would bleed it and then they would put it on the altar and they would give that to God. That's this sacrifice. We are a flesh sacrifice. And we are to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. So I've titled this sermon, The Walking Dead. Because a sacrifice is dead. That's what a sacrifice is. A flesh sacrifice is killed. So a living sacrifice doesn't make sense. When you understand the, the Old Testament sacrifices, a living sacrifice, what is that? 
This is something different. This is something new. And as a living sacrifice, we die to sin and self in order to live to God. That's what a living sacrifice is. We climb on this altar. We are the sacrifice to God in thanksgiving, in worship, and we stay there. We stay on that altar. This is one of those somewhat deep doctrines that that we express when we do baptism. When Jesus died on the cross, those of us who have placed our faith in him, we died with him. When he was buried, it is as if we were buried in the tomb with him. That's what we do when we baptize. That's why we dunk, by the way. If you've wondered, why why do you dunk? That's why. It's the picture of dying and actually being buried. And then we say, raised to walk in newness of life. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ, and we rose with him. And eventually, someday, we're going to have bodies like his new body. It's going to be awesome. Physical bodies that eat, that drink, that I don't know if we're going to sleep. I I don't know. Um, Play soccer, maybe. Uh, Baseball. We're going to do a lot of things. In Christ, though, we have all these things. So we've, we've died to self, and we've died to sin. Paul says it this way sometimes, not not Paul, but Paul Ingram up here. He says, you know, we say yes to Jesus before we know what he's asking. That's what a living sacrifice is. I'm yours, now you tell me what you want. Whatever it is, I've already said yes, whatever that would be. You know, there's there's been a plague in the American church, and and maybe internationally as well, of this easy believism. And I grew up with this hearing this all the time, oh, that person, they prayed the prayer when they were five, so they're good. They, they got their get-out-of-hell-free card, and, and they're going to heaven. The Bible really doesn't express salvation in that way. Now, what we're talking about here, this presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, this isn't workspace salvation. We're not saying this is what you do to earn salvation. You can't. Jesus did it all. This is a response. This is a natural and logical response to God's mercy to us. So again, we're not earning anything by it because God needs nothing from us, right? Everything is his already. From him, through him, to him are all things. He needs nothing. This is a natural response to who he is and what he has done. Now, what's the end result? I want to skip down real quick at the the end of uh, verse 2. It says, so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We're skipping some. We're going to go back to that. But the end result of being a living sacrifice is that we discern God's will. You ever ask that question? What's God's will? What's God's will for my life? And we pray, you know, the Lord's Prayer. It begins, you know, thy will be done on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, that we want his will done. Well, how can you do his will or see his will unless you know his will? As we grow in this living sacrifice, we see the things he wants. Here's why this changes our life. So when we start to get in that fight, whatever, and I'm alive and it's about me, God's will is that I serve my wife, that I be dead and put her more important than me. That's his will. And so when that comes, I'm going to respond differently. I, I discern his will, right? Go down the list of whatever it is. Sometimes we know his will clearly. Sometimes we don't. And we have to grow and learn his will and things go quite a bit better. But now, this uh, living sacrifice, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. 
I taught on this years ago, and I actually caught a frog from out in our yard, and I brought it in a box, and I put it on there, and it kept crawling off. It was perfect. But, but that's a living sacrifice. It, it tends to crawl off the altar. And when we are alive, you know, we have a, opinions. We have wants. We have desires. There was a time in my life where, where there was kind of an organized group campaign against me, spreading lies and slander, and, and somebody came up to me at one point, somebody I thought was a friend, uh, and, and very, you know, vulgar and angry, attacked, verbally attacked me and listed all these things. I said, everything you just said is not true. I said, what, what is happening, right? Like, that's not true. And he said, yes, it is. My source is reliable. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, and I discovered more and more this, this kind of organized slander of lies, and guess what rose up in me? A desire for justice. People are viewing me in a way that's not right, and I need to fix that, right? Well, that's because I'm alive, and I care what people think about me, <laughs> right? I care about my reputation, and God really kind of helped me through that. I didn't always handle it well, but he's like, Derek, it's not about you. It's not about you. You don't need to defend yourself. I see. I see clearer than you see, and I'll handle it. So you just do what I tell you to do, and you don't need to get back. You don't need to defend. You don't need to justify yourself. If that's needed, I'll justify you. But you just trust me. Stop being so alive. And that's so hard, isn't it? Right? When, when we get in an argument or whatever and we're right, and we know we're right, and we got to make sure the other person knows we're right, well, that's because we're alive. <laughs> that's because we want some things. Whatever it is, why do we spend so much money on, on cars and food? And go down the list, but we, we don't help others. We don't give to God. Why? Because we're alive and we want. It's about me. So this... This sacrifice, what's it say here? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable. This is in your notes. The sacrifice is to be holy and acceptable. Holy, sanctified, set apart, different, special, pure, acceptable to God. As we live as a living sacrifice, hopefully it's acceptable to God. Me in that situation trying to justify myself is not a holy, right? That's not acceptable to him. That's about me. You know, and God says to me in that, can I glorify myself through your humiliation? Well, that doesn't sound like much fun. <laughs> but yet that's where the real joy is. And in fact, it's funny, this morning as I was praying through, I, I go through these notes. It's like, well, this is what he did through Jesus. He glorified himself through Jesus' humiliation, right? Crucifixion is the worst way to die. Naked, carrying this cross after being beaten, he was humiliated. And that's our God, and he did that for us. And then we're so worried about how people view us. I'm talking about myself right now, right? Because we're so alive, and the sacrifice is to be holy and acceptable. Um, in the Old Testament, when God gave instructions to the Jews on their sacrifices, this was one of those things, it needs to be your best, right? So they would go to their flock, and they would pick not the spotted sheep, not the blotched sheep, not the three-legged sheep named tripod, the best sheep, that's the one that they would bring, the most valuable. That was the sacrifice. The, the first fruits, when they would bring in their grapes, the first ones, right, the first and the best were given back to God, not the ones that were rotten at the end, not the ones on the best. That is a holy and acceptable sacrifice. Do we give God our best? 
or do we give him our leftovers? I mean, be honest with that. Do we give him of the first of our income? Do we give him of the best of our time? Do we give him the best of our talents? Or do we give him the leftovers? This holy and acceptable sacrifice is our best. And let me tell you this. God is actually not pleased with our leftovers. He, uh, in the Old Testament, if you read the prophets, God is pretty uh, blunt and straight at his people when it's, when it's hypocrisy, right? When their sacrifices and things were just religion and hypocrisy. He says things like this in the book of Amos. God says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. We're foolish to think that we can live however we want, and God is satisfied with our church attendance, right? Or, or even our giving, or whatever else it is, as if God needs something from us, and we're like, oh God, we'll do you this favor, right, by going to church. We'll do you a favor by singing during worship. We'll do you a favor by giving to these needy. We feel good about that. But then we go home, and uh, we, we verbally abuse our spouse, right? We, we take advantage of, of others. We go to work, and we're rude, and we're, I mean, go down the list of all these things, and then we come here and pretend like we're all good. Now, I'm not saying go live like the devil and don't come here. We, we need to come worship. This is part of why we worship, because the Holy Spirit works in us to change us and work on us. But no more faking. Uh, this wasn't in my notes. Adam and I were talking. Adam's back there on the soundboard, and we were talking about parenting. You know, and a lot of you are parents, and our biggest desire, right, is that our kids grow up to follow Jesus, that our kids grow up to make a difference in the world for Jesus, that they experience love, joy, peace, all these things, that they avoid the mistakes we've made. I mean, I guess we could get a show of hands. How many parents hope your kids avoid the mistakes you made? Right? Yeah, right? That's what we want. I read a book years ago, Already Gone. Why are so many kids leaving the church? And you know what they concluded? And I agree, because parents are hypocrites. Because they, they bring their kids to church. Hey, everybody, look good. Do your hair. Look good at church. And then they go home, and they're getting drunk. And they're fighting with each other. And they're cheating on their taxes. And they're buying a car that costs them $1,000 a month, but they're not giving to anything or helping anybody. And the kids are smarter than that. And they're like, mm, yeah, nope, I'm out. Because we're hypocrites. Now, as Adam and I were talking this morning, to be honest, we're all hypocrites at some level. Right? I mean, we're all struggling through sin and going through that. But God wants our best. He wants our authentic worship, our authentic best, giving ourselves fully to him. And what's he say about this sacrifice? Uh, it is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Maybe your Bible says your reasonable service of worship, something like that. The word actually is logic. That's the word uh, translated spiritual or, or one of those things. It's actually logical, meaning this is the logical response to God's mercy in your life, that you give your life back to him completely. This is the only thing that makes sense. In response to God's mercy, the only logical response is to worship God by giving our whole self and life to him. We are the walking dead. My goodness, this is so useful to life. When we, we look at what he's done for us, and he's given us everything, the hope for eternity. I mean, just go down the list. We're adopted. We're forgiven. He's even promised that he'll provide for our, our basic life needs. We don't need to worry about those things. Just like he took care of the birds, and the, he'll take care of us. We don't have to worry about that stuff. 
but then yet we, we still try and, and hoard whatever. No, the natural logical response is we give ourselves back to him. Now, how? How do we do this? I mean, like, this is great, but we're not actually going to climb on some altar and lay there, right? We're going to walk around and live. How do we do it? And he gives us really clear instruction in verse 2. Two things. One thing to stop doing, one thing to start doing. It says, do not, or stop, be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what we do. Do not be conformed to the world. As a living sacrifice, we refuse to conform to the world's mold. And the world has not just one mold. It has lots of molds. I mean, let's be honest. It has lots of molds, depending on what group you're in. Uh, you know, there's a, a liberal mold over here that's very ungodly. There's a conservative mold over here that's very ungodly. There's different molds that the world would try and push us in that are not godly. And he's telling us, do not be conformed to the world. We are to be nonconformists as Christians. Why do we care so much what the rest of the world thinks of us? Right? Why, why do we want to be viewed in a certain way? Why do we want to be viewed as, as with the times, culturally relevant, although it, the Bible is very culturally relevant? We are not to conform. Rather, we're to be transformed. We're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. This is one of those, as, uh, as you look at the stats within the church, it's a little bit frustrating. Because as you see, Paul says here, the natural, logical response to God's mercy in our life is that we're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed to be Christ-like. But when you read the stats in the church, in the church and out, they're the same when it comes to things like sexual immorality, abortion, divorce, down the list, uh, the percentage that people give to charity, it's actually pretty close on average in the church and outside the church. Meaning, in general, those who claim to be Christians are conforming right to the world. That should break our hearts. Now, to be honest, as you look deeper into those stats, um, it, it changes. Somebody who, who attends church consistently, those things do drop. Um, those who read their Bible consistently, those things drop. Those who are in a group, whether it's a Bible study, whatever, those drop even more. Uh, the divorce one, you want to know the, the secret sauce to that one? Couples that pray together consistently, divorce goes to almost zero. I mean, try that. Try praying every day with your spouse. Because when you're praying, you're talking to God together, you're vulnerable, you're honest. Just try that for a year and see if your marriage isn't the best it's ever been. Because it's putting God at the center. But why in general do we look like the world? Does the church look like the world because we're conforming and not being transformed? R.C. Sproul writes this. He says, we fall into this when we allow the standards and customs of our culture to dictate our behavior instead of the word of God. So why do we look like the rest of the world? Because so few Christians actually read their Bibles and then let it change them. This, this transformation the word is metamorphosis, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. God wants to change us significantly. And how does he do it? We see here he does it through the word of God, right? The renewal of our mind. Real change begins in the mind with what we think, what we believe, what we know to be true. And Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, for the word of God is living 
and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is powerful. I can tell you this, times in my life where I've been uh, willfully walking in sin, I don't want to read the Bible. You know why? Because I know God's going to turn me to the thing I don't want to read. And the Holy Spirit's going to stir me to the thing I don't want to (laughs) hear. Because it's living and it's active. And God uses this to poke us, to prod us, to change our mind, but then also to our heart. So that then we can discern God's will, right? As he transforms us through his word, we see quicker and clearer what his will is. And as that goes to our heart, then we want to do that. We want to obey that. We're dead to self. He changes us, and we go, well, I've already said yes to you, so whatever that is, I'm going to do that. As an acceptable living sacrifice, we let God transform us by his word. We let God transform us by his word, and we need this. When we're first saved, do we know all of God's will? Absolutely not. When we've been saved 40 years, do we still know all of God's will? Probably not, but, but maybe closer right? When we're first converted, we first believe Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and we can have salvation in him. And all, we confess that now there has to be some changing. You know, we believe certain things. It's okay to cheat on my taxes. Then we start studying, oh, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Okay, I need to adjust my thinking, okay? I do need to pay my taxes. Uh, Anxious, worried, whatever it is, Certain things that we believe to be true, God will change them if we let him. Years ago, I, I, had to, I was 22, 23, um, and I got to lead a men's Bible study uh, that was uh, multinational. So I think I've shared this before, but there were Americans, there were Canadians, there were Africans, there were Germans, there were Russians, and something else. Um, and we got together, and we started you know, studying and talking, and people would, would voice things that they believed to be true, wait, what? That's not what the Bible teaches. And then somebody else. And we realized we had certain traditions and things. We believed things because of our culture, where we came from, tradition. And it forced us. It was, it was huge in my life because it forced us then to go, here's the authority. Let's let this change us. And it happened to me. I have American ways of thinking that in the church or whatever that I thought were true. And they're able to go, does the Bible say that? And we open it up and go, oh my goodness. That was my American way or whatever. My tradition of upbringing, I believed this. And then you go to God's word, it's like, nope, you're wrong. So then what do you do with that? When God says, nope, you're wrong. Well, remember, God is God and we are not. As a living sacrifice, we change. We change. How many times have you or you've heard somebody, I know the Bible says, but I'm still going to do this. Or they take God's word and manipulate it so it says what they want it to say. That's not what a living sacrifice does. We let him change us. And by the way, it's best for us. He wants to transform us. This is not not just a little makeover, right? God doesn't want to come into our house and be like, you know what, we're going to move the couch over here and we're going to change that painting out and maybe paint that wall. God wants to do extreme makeover home. Do you remember that show? I loved that show. Right? They would go. Somebody was needy. I don't know how they chose them. Um, and the family would leave. They'd go on this awesome vacation. And normally the first thing they, that they did was they tore the house down. <laughs> Sometimes they could use what was there. Sometimes they would use the foundation, whatever. But they would just bulldoze the whole thing and start over. And I loved watching how, I mean, these crews would come in and, and how they would get the concrete done. So all this stuff. But when they, the family came back 
and they'd had the big bus. Maybe you remember, it's great. Uh, and they'd stand on the other side, and they'd say, move that bus, and the bus goes, and of course, they all start crying and whatever, because it's not even recognizable. It's totally different. That's what God wants to do in our hearts. And the people who are honest when they are converted, the people who are honest are the ones who are hesitant to bow the knee to Jesus because they know this is true. They know if I say yes to Jesus, he's going to change things in my life. Yes. Yes. And a living sacrifice is willing to let God make those changes. And then we're dead to self. You see how this changes our life? Because, again, it's all about God. Look back at 1136. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You know, I, I start at the beginning with just this, this pressure that I have as a preacher. I want this to be best for you. It's an abundant life, and let's talk about this, how your life can be better. And it is. All these things are true. All these other dominoes, right? Your marriages will get better. Your anxiety levels will go down. Your hope will go up. Your joy will go up. All these things. But what if we didn't get all that stuff? Because of who God is, the only logical response is still to give ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. It's not just about us. In fact, it's not about us from our perspective. It's all about him. But for him, he's given us everything. <laughs> so you see how this is just the logical response to give ourselves fully back to him as a living sacrifice. So are you the walking dead? Or are you still pretty much alive? This week, as you're going through life, think about that, right? When, when something stirs you, a temptation, um, anger, anxiety. Take a minute. Just take a time out and go, okay, whatever that is, why? Why am I responding this way? What part of you is alive that you need to put back on that altar to God? You and your spouse, kids with your parents, parents, with, whatever it is, you feel yourself starting to get fired up, angry, whatever it is, time out. Tell them to be dead. No. <laughs> no. But in a relationship, what if both are dead to self and alive to the other. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? No, it's one of those, okay, I'll take it, whatever, because I'm dead. I mean, I love, uh, in Scripture, the husband's responsibility in the marriage. What's the husband's responsibility? To be like Christ. Not to be the head. They are to be the leader, but to, but to be like Christ, meaning you die for your wife all the time. And the wife's role, to live for her husband. I mean, just go down the list of all of this. It will change your life if you are a living sacrifice. It's about God, not about me. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to get fired up. I don't have to worry because I belong to him. And it's all going to work out perfectly according to his will, which the more we're transformed, the more we see, the more we understand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your word. God, thank you for who you are. I really do love that song that we sang, listing the attributes of you. You are comforter, counselor. You are alpha, omega. You're the beginning. You're the end. You are God, and we are not. And we want to give you everything because it makes sense. It's the only logical response to who you are and the mercies that you've shown us. We love you. And God, I, I'm going to confess on, on, on the part of all of us here, God, we're so alive many times, each of us in different ways, and we're sorry about that. We are. We, we want to be changed. We want to be more dead to self. We want to give you more of ourselves. Will you please help us? Holy Spirit, we need your help. We're so weak. <laughs> in, in and of ourselves, we're, we're helpless and hopeless, but we need you. 
Holy Spirit, stir in us. God, I, I, I would just be over the moon if, if all the marriages in here grew in their, their health, their love for one another. God, if all of our kids grew up knowing what it means to really follow you, to be a living sacrifice, and then they give their lives to you, God, you'll change the world, and you already are. We love you. Do what you need in us. And now I, I ask that our, our voices, our worship, would be a fragrant aroma to you, that we would sing from our hearts because you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we worship, I'm going to be...